Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on Roger Kamenetz, who is a poet, author, essayist, biographer, religious thinker, and dream work practitioner. He is probably best known for his breakthrough account of Jewish-Buddhist dialogue, The Jew and the Lotus, a Serious student of dreams since 1999, his The History of Last Night's Dream was featured on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Series, and his poems have appeared in hundreds of periodicals and 25 anthologies. His previous books of poetry include The Missing Jew, Stuck, The Lowercase Jew, and To Die Next to You. Yonder is his seventh and latest collection, and he lives in New Orleans where he practices natural dream work. Take a listen. Encounter with a Muse in the logic of conditioning, we identify with one race or another, one victim or another, one perpetrator or another. Looking into my pants for a fixed sign of gender, I hear the word wallop. Clouds split in half by lightning Verses recited by old Chinese poets in an upper loge. So old, they are sexless. One poem stroked there became a heavenly writ, daubed on walls and tortoises, gold script on black varnish. In dream logic, we pour like smoke from one body to another. You meet a woman who says, I listen to water. She is old, young, youthful. Her face shimmers. The lightning market crashes. I hear in water the movement of all things I might step into. I lie in the riverbed and she dreams against my ear. Wallop, pillow, willow, pallor. I'm reading this poem from my newest book, Yonder. The poems rise out of my experience of dreaming um, on two sides of the pillow. In other words, my, my own dreaming, which I've been paying a lot of attention to all my life, and especially in the last 20 years, and also um, the dreams of others, because I work, I do something called natural dream work, and I've been working with people in their dreams well, for almost 20 years. And for a long time, I kept the poetry writing a little bit separate from the dream work and the way I was entering into dreams. And at some point, the, the channel broke or the bank broke away, and I realized that I, I found a way maybe, to write poetry that really comes from the point of view of the dream. I, I guess my whole quest right now is to move from seeing the dream from the point of view of the world to seeing the world from the point of view of the dream, by which I mean the, the primary imagination. So in this little poem I read with to you encounter with a muse, I was thinking about the concept of conditioning and the fact that who I think I am, the I, the, the historical I, the historical Roger Kamenetz, 
is is really a product of a lot of conditioning from from early on, and um, there's a logic to that conditioning, but there's also dream logic in this poem. So in the logic of conditioning, we identify with one race or another, one victim or another, one perpetrator or another, one gender or another. But in dream logic, we pour like smoke from one body to another. So maybe that's talking about a different kind of fluidity. I mean, there's water in this poem too, isn't there? And also this movement of words at the end that is more like maybe the lapping of of waves, you know, wallop, pillow, willow, pallor, the way the way words are so fluid once they're released from the need to do all the utilitarian work. I mean, maybe a poem is is that, this playground where words can uh, have their own way and where I can get out of their way. I'm going to read another poem from this collection, uh, Yonder, which was published by Lavender Inc., a local publisher here in New Orleans, and is available at lots of stores. I just did a reading at at Octavia Books. The um, poem I'd like to read actually is about, I think I'll read this one because it's so New Orleans and I didn't get a chance to read it the other night. It's called The Gold Statue. And you'll see that maybe maybe it'll help make clear what I mean about seeing the world from the dream point of view. So the subtitle of the epigraph, I guess, is Against a New Confederacy of Dunces. Any of you who live here will know what I'm talking about. People all over town are talking about statues on top of long white columns in a roundabout at the entrance to the art museum. They say statues must be removed. Some say history will be removed. Others say history is not a statue. Are they talking about history or the history of statues? To remove a statue requires orange slings of synthetic web under the horse's barrel and a crane to lift and swing it in the air. Soon the bronze horse will land definitively. Small music will be played. Cheers in the air, stars in the night, thunder in the dust, complaints as usual. The planet revolves slowly around the sun, returning to the same spot at the same time each year, a little-noticed coincidence. To remove history requires an amnesia device. One was built to spec in my neighbor's basement and irradiates my Faubourg. I hear it hum in my ears when I try to fall asleep, erasing memories and mental grocery lists so that I bring home beets instead of carrots or socks instead of beets. And the store, which used to rest on the corner of Monkey See and Monkey Do, now squats in the middle of the block, a gray porcelain building shaped like a beehive. And where is the statue of me? There used to be statues of me on every block of this old city. Some marble, a few tin or aluminum, and one special statue of gold. I try to avoid noticing them out of modesty, and others apparently had the same policy out of politeness. One statue 
was a jack, a little girl left on the sidewalk. Another was a dead leaf. Now, I can't find the statues anywhere, no matter how hard I search. Oh, my neighbor's terrible basement invention, erasing history like that. Soon all the statues of me will be gone, and who will replace me? Mm, yeah, that's kind of interesting to read that. I guess I feel that the poem is moving from the outside of the all this controversy about statues and people thinking they could defend history as if a statue was history to a kind of an inner place of uh, maybe what's underneath all this fear of change, which is like, where am I in this landscape? You know, who am I in this world or in this city? So the, the character, the speaker, seems to become a little nutty as he starts thinking about a leaf or a jack as being a statue of him. Anyway, that's where the poem The Gold Statue takes us. I think I'll read this poem called The Double Room. A, lo a lot of these poems, all these poems are, I shouldn't say this, but they're all written in prose. They're prose poems. That's how poetic they are in a certain way. They're trying to rely just on the, on the language and the sound without necessarily being divided up into lines. I'm also interested in the liquidity of that, the, the movement of that, because I, I feel a poem, and I also feel a dream, is not a story but a movement of feelings. So this poem was actually influenced by a, a French poet, uh, Charles uh, Baudelaire. He wrote a poem, uh, La Chambre Double, the, the Double Room, a little line from that is, une chambre qui ressemble à une rêverie, a, a room that looks like a dream or a reverie, actually a reverie. The French really kind of influenced what I was doing when I was writing this book, especially, um, well, let me just read the poem. The, the tradition of the prose poem is really strong in, in, in French literature. So why not here too? Okay, the double room. I live in a double room. In one room, night is a drug. In the other room, night does not exist. I open my eye in one room, and in the other room, my eye closes and sees all that the first eye does not see. I see through the ocean in one room that all is made of waves. I see through the window in the other room that all is bright appearance. Peeking in through the window from the outside of one room, I see inside my own mind in the other room. I am asleep in the first room, and darting lights puncture the dark. In the other room, I observe clouds prowl, pounce, slide, and ponder. One darling cloud takes the definite shape of a fish unidentified in the book of fish. The fish book hides in the other room among all books. I live in both rooms. In which am I truly awake? One room calls to the other to say, You are asleep, have always been asleep. When I wake from a dream, I am never sure that the bed is real. So I, I mentioned the, the, the tradition of the French poets. 
one of them is uh, a man named uh, Max Jacob, and Max Jacob is probably the the father. Uh, I don't know the mm, tutelary deity or muse of this book. And Max was a very interesting man. He was a um, a Jew from Breton in France who was Picasso's roommate when Picasso first came to Paris in around 1906. And they influenced each other a great deal. So I wanted to read a poem by Max Jacob that it was written pretty late in his writing career. He A lot of things had happened to him, but he... Uh, the salient thing here is that even though he had converted to Catholicism after seeing a vision, he was arrested by the Gestapo and met his death. He was arrested as, as a Jew. And um, earlier, this rather really dandified and, and kind of witty man was told to wear the, the yellow star, the étoile jaune, and which identified him as 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 a Jew, and of course was the beginning of really of of the mass extermination or the or the imprisonment of so many Jews and, and murder of them in in France. I mean, I think this again, this idea that uh, maybe the first poem where I was talking about identities, you know, the need for people have to cling to their identity. Maybe that's epitomized by Yellow Star, whereas the dream idea that we can pour from one body to another like smoke is perhaps a, a more imaginative way to, to see our world. So this is to an extreme, I suppose, when, when people not only are labeled, but literally wearing a, a, a label so that others can identify them only as, as that, as that external quality. And the poem is called, in French, Amour du Prochain, or, and I translate that as Love Your Neighbor. And this is a translation of, of Max Jacob's prose poem. Who sees a toad crossing the street? He's a little man. A doll is no smaller. He crawls on his knees. He's ashamed, people say. No, he's got rheumatism. One leg hangs back, he drags it. Where will he go like that? He's leaving the sewer, poor clown. No one notices this toad on the street. Almost no one notices me on the street now that the children make fun of my yellow star. Lucky toad, you don't have a yellow star. I guess there's a theme emerging here. So so I'll read this other poem that's right next door to Love Your Neighbor, and it's called Pocket Dial, and it's dedicated to wonderful Hindu teacher, uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi, who you can find his book. It's called Who Am I? And and you can find it, Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi, M-A-H-A-R-S-H-I, if you download it. This book, Who Am I?, is really a fascinating um, meditation, I guess, on really asking that question over and over. Who am I? What is What is identity really mean? Am I my name? Am I my profession? Am I my, you know, who am I? No, the answer is we really don't know. So here's the poem. It's called Pocket Dial. My pocket twitched and reached a random you. I did not imagine your face or hands in gray lines falling like rain. I did not see you dive, fearing the shadow of the octopus, the giant squid, 
the sword of the swordfish, the sharp teeth of the needlefish. Your blood never whistled in my ear. When I lay back on my silent bed, I felt the bed of the sea and kept going under, month after night, to the bottom of time. Old-fashioned black telephones rang. Operators in long skirts and white-buttoned blouses poked black spaghetti into holes, connecting dots on a grief. Voices boiled in a fat cable strung on the sea floor. Random yous met random eyes, and random eyes will see us walk the esplanade, you and I. A phone cries in my pocket, and a strangely familiar voice asks, Who is this? And someone answers, Who am I? So, it's a good question. <laughs> Who am I? And uh, I don't know the answer. But I think it's, maybe I keep asking it. So this poem is called Another Good Day. Another good day. If you listen carefully, you'll probably, and if you have ever read the Bible in its various translations, you'll recognize one of the lines. And that's it. So this idea of the I and the you shows up here in a different way. Another good day. This must mean something. The pearl clouds piled against streaks of pink, the flat ocean ranging to the edge of sky. The end of day or the beginning, evening, morning, one day. It begins as a prayer or ends as a prayer. Dear, fill in the blank. Then rush in all the human quarrels. But the sea pushes back, then gently expands as if breathing, then as if puts its hand on me. I am quieted like the child I once was. Words leave ghost ripples of breath. This must mean something. This must mean, this must, this. Tell me I am fooling myself, love, so I may be your fool. I guess it turned into a love poem, which it will do if it wants to, if I don't get in the way. So, gosh, let me read, uh, since I mentioned the Bible, let me read a, another poem that uh, you'll notice several themes here, but certainly one of them is the dream. And this poem probably relates to the, well, rela- doesn't probably, it definitely relates to one of the best-known dreams in, in the whole world. And it's called In Praise of the Ladder. My fee for appearing in one of your dreams is 50 cents a night. No fee at all for appearing as a cloud, but think of me, please, when you wake. As for angels, the illustrator must be paid for her artistry. Her pen tip is sharp. Her ink is blood. She draws directly on the skin, then penetrates down into the nervous system with a saucy tattoo. See how I breathe in this poem, these words. 
I will heave up and down the same way in your dream. I will breathe for free if you never tell me your dream. The best place to keep a dream is under a rock in the story of Jacob, an ordinary rock at the foot of the ladder to heaven. So um, let me read. You can tell how, how carefully I planned this, but it didn't matter, did it? I'm going to read this poem. Yeah, let me read this poem. It, uh, maybe it has a, a mild political edge. I don't know. And it refers to the, a palindrome. A palindrome is um, a word or a sentence that um, reads the same forwards as backwards. And um, strictly speaking, there are more anagrams in this poem than palindromes. But let me speak more generally about them. But, you know, the most famous one, of course, is the... What what was the first uh, sentence ever spoken? It was a palindrome. It was, Madam, I'm Adam. Anyway, they're they're kind of fun, you know. Lufa backwards is a fool. So I don't know, but that wouldn't that wouldn't work. Anyway, words do that, don't they? They kind of move around in your head. So this is called palindromes to harass Sarah Palin. A waterfall of laughter makes a near palindrome. These near palindromes, when uncovered by studious poets, undermine right thought. They enable a wildflower eruption frowned on in meditation. Some teachers prefer the long breath, short breath routine. I sit on my zafu, watching a cobweb grow from my nostrils. What is the web of a cob? the poet asked. Breathe. Breathe. By all means, ignore me, the poet said into the silence. The feeling is mutual, silence did not reply. In a moment of slowed down time, a thread becomes a threat. Let the palindrome drone pale. Let the poem mope. We all will appeal to a death panel. Well, I think we'll appeal to a to a death panel. At least I hope I'll, I'll be appealing. So it seems like there's just time for one more. I, I wanted to just kind of read a more recent thing. Uh, just it's not in this book. It's not going to be in the next book, uh, Dream Logic, which is coming next year, but maybe it'll be in a book someday. It's called Shirt Care, and it's dedicated to the red shirt, um, reason being that I put it in the dryer and shrunk it. But I did figure out a way to fix that. Anyway, shirt care. I don't want to care for a shirt. I want a shirt to care for me, wrap itself around me and keep me warm. Son, I want you in the sky toasting my skin. I know I am going around you and that I fall, you don't rise. I fall in the sky of no deeds towards clouds of no understanding. Fluffheads. Had they minds, they might be thinking instead they have to be symbols. But not in this poem. They can be fists of rain. I will symbol for them my epic misunderstanding, my ode of simple elements. When my words run out, spilled to the ground, soaking into soil, clouds, do your job. Drift on. So that poem was written December 18th, 2018. 
listen, we're coming to the end, so I just want to take a moment to thank uh, David Benedetto and WRBH. I, had, I was last here a long time ago with Tim Green and I think Valentine Pierce. And in any way, it's really nice to come back, and I really thank all of you for lending me your ears uh, for a moment to, to play around with, with these poems, and I hope to see you yonder. Okay, bye. That was Roger Kamenetz, poet and dreamwork practitioner. And that's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. You can tune in on Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thank you for listening. <laughs>